Hello and welcome to the Allen and Overy podcast. My name is Rose Hall and I head up business development for our technology group. I think everyone listening will be only too aware of the regularity with which cyber attacks and data breaches hit the headlines and the pressure that business leaders find themselves under as a result of this. Moreover, I think that people are probably quite familiar with the way that the stakes are being raised across the legal landscape with, for example, the General Data Protection Regulation in force in Europe and the California Consumer Privacy Act on the horizon in the States. This is a piece of legislation, by the way, that many anticipate will foreshadow a general tightening of data and cyber regulation across the US. So it seems only right that today we're talking about cybersecurity. And to do this, I'm joined by my colleague Lawson Kaisley, a partner in our litigation and investigations team. Lawson, before we get into the detail of the topic, I thought it would be interesting to ask you how you started doing so much work in the area of cybersecurity. I think I'm right in saying that you would not call yourself a technology expert per se. So how did you find yourself working in this area and why do companies turn to you when they've suffered a breach? Absolutely right. I'm not a, I'm not a technology expert. Um, the, the answer to that is because a cyber or data breach is not just an IT issue. And this is a, a, a matter that the regulators are very, very keen to stress. So although you need to involve IT specialists, that is only the start of the story often. Any significant data or cyber breach will raise a myriad of issues that actually fall for the GC and the board to deal with. Uh, they include issues such as the consideration of criminal and civil options um, that are available to the company, notification to regulators uh, and potentially the enforcement authorities, Inevitably, there'll be an investigation uh, to get to the root cause of the, the breach. Uh, there will be the angle of communications and crisis management, and also minimizing the potential exposure of the organization that is the victim of the breach. And all of those issues are ones that we litigation lawyers deal with daily. Thanks, Lawson. So before we started recording this podcast, we were talking about a series of questions that you use to help your clients think through their cybersecurity preparedness. And I thought it might be useful to follow a similar route in our conversation now and to think about some of the key considerations that senior executives, including the in-house team, will need to work through when they're confronted by a cybersecurity crisis or a data breach. So let's start at the beginning. You've received a phone call from your IT team telling you that they've found a problem. What immediate action should you take? What are your priorities? There are a number of priorities. I'll run through them, but it sounds like a trite answer. But hopefully, uh, one of your priorities will be putting into action the planning that you've already done. So in any cyber or data breach, of course, there will be aspects of it that are exclusive to that particular breach. But actually, a lot of the key issues and questions that you're going to have to grapple with are capable of planning, uh, capable of scenario testing. And ideally, you want to be in a position where you have run some internal training and a lot of the questions that you know are going to crop up have already been dealt with to an extent. Um, so against that background, some of the key actions you should be prioritizing straight away. First and foremost, you need to assemble the correct team uh, to deal with the breach. That can be an art in itself because you want to keep it uh, small and nimble enough to be able to take decisions quickly, but equally you want to have all the necessary decision makers around the table. So again, that's a, that's a classic example of where forward planning can make that much easier. Um, next, you need to make sure that the attack has been stopped or contained. In other words, you need to prevent further damage occurring. Um, you will need to preserve 
the potential evidence and information you need for further down the line when you're dealing with regulators uh, and the public and also potentially taking legal action. So that, for example, could include taking images uh, of the, the systems that have been affected. And that's an aspect where it is usually sensible to involve a specialist third party forensic firm. Um, the crucial point, and this is something that uh, quite understandably, I think often IT teams um, just need to be uh, focused on. What you need, particularly from a legal point of view, uh, is to find out what has happened, not necessarily how it has happened. That That is something that uh, you can sometimes afford to establish later. But the first question that the regulators will have and the question that will often drive the company's response in terms of trying to protect itself is establishing exactly what has happened. So that is something that you really need to focus on, how it's happened, in other words, what particular vulnerability uh, was exploited to get into the systems, what improvements can be made for the future. That often is a, a follow-up issue. It's a very important issue. Uh, but in the first few hours of a data breach, as I say, it's important to remember that you really need to establish what has happened um, and to get the evidence together to show that. And should you go to the police? That is always um, a, a question that arises. It's another classic example of one where um, some initial training uh, will, will allow you to save time in the, in the heat of a breach. The short answer to that question is there is no general obligation to report a breach to the police. You may have an obligation to report certain regulators, and, and we'll come on to that shortly. But in general, there is no uh, obligation to report uh, a crime or a breach to the police. The agencies uh, certainly encourage it. The National Crime Agency encourages it, understandably, because the more information they have on breaches, the better they are able to give advice. Um, and indeed, in certain cases, there may be very clear reasons why you do want to involve the police. So, for example, I had a case where the um, actor, it was an internal breach, had fled the jurisdiction. So we needed to involve the police very quickly because we needed to have that person extradited back to this jurisdiction. So there are areas and cases where you will want to involve the police, but it is important to remember a couple of points. First, um, notifying the police does not guarantee that the steps that will need to be taken to protect the organisation will be taken. That is not the police's job. The police's job, obviously, is to investigate the crime um, and pursue the wrongdoer if, if they have sufficient evidence to do that. Their priority is not actually to look after the victim. Uh, that often falls to the, uh, the in-house lawyers and that often falls uh, into the scope of, of civil litigation and remedies. And, and again, we'll look at some of those shortly. Um, the second thing to remember with the police is that once you have involved them, you will be surrendering a degree potentially of control over the sequence of events uh, and also on the legal side as to which legal procedure takes precedence, criminal proceedings if they're started or civil proceedings. So before you decide to notify the police, it is important to just to think carefully about whether it is necessary, whether it is in your interest to do so. Having said all that, what we're seeing increasingly now is one of the standard uh, statements that are made when a breach occurs usually is we have notified the police. So I think realistically, we're probably getting to the stage where on any significant data breach, if you don't say that, the question may be asked, well, have you notified the police? So, um, you know, I think we're probably in a situation where you will need to notify them, but exactly when and how you do so does, does merit careful analysis.
One practical point to bear in mind if you do decide to notify the police is that it will be in your interests to pull everything together uh, in as easy to understand format as possible for the police. They obviously have limited resources and time. And so if you are able to present to them an easy to understand and complete package of what you know so far and the evidence you've got, that will make it all the easier to get them involved. Thanks, Lawson. So you said we'd look at civil remedies. Um, what might your recourse be there? Yeah, civil remedies. This is an area where the certainly the courts in the UK are very, very willing now to grant innovative orders. Uh, they fully understand that in the area of cyber breaches, cyber attacks, it is extremely fast moving. And some of the traditional requirements, for example, when you commence action against someone Ideally, you know who you're commencing it against, uh, simply are not possible to satisfy uh, in the fast-moving area of a cyber breach. So, as I say, the courts are, are very willing to grant innovative measures to allow the civil route to be pursued. So, examples of this, uh, fairly recently, we've had the court granting injunctions against persons unknown to prohibit the publication of stolen material. We're seeing an increasing number of information or disclosure orders against banks to which funds have been fraudulently transferred, which then allows the company to start the process of, of trying to recover that money. Uh, the courts have allowed service of proceedings by text or Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp. Um, the reason for that, obviously, is because you don't know, you don't have an address for somebody. If you've just got an email from them demanding money, uh, the, that's the only means of communication you have with them. Um, and also confidentiality orders. The courts understand that in certain situations, it will be embarrassing or potentially uh, confidential um, for the victim to actually go to court and their identity and, and the details of what has happened to become public. So again, increasingly confidentiality orders are, are, are made by courts when they can see that protecting the identity of the victim is important. So all of that just illustrates how willing the courts, certainly in the UK, are uh, to allow companies who are the victim of a cyber or data breach to use the full gamut of civil remedies to protect their position. And the beauty, of course, of relying on civil proceedings is that the company itself is in charge of those proceedings. It is not relying on the police or another enforcement authority to take action and make the running. The company can actually decide which aspects uh, of its business it is most important to protect and new civil proceedings to achieve those objectives. So the value of the civil remedies is that the company stays very much in control? Absolutely. You stay in control quite often just in terms of timing. You are able to get the results you need much more quickly. So in one case I did, we on the civil side were able to get quite a draconian injunction from the court requiring an individual to hand back information they had hacked from our systems literally within a few hours of being instructed. And actually it took longer than that to get the police actually interested in that matter. So it sounds a, you know, a very silly practical issue, but the reality is in most cases, unless they offer a massive amount of money, you are going to try and get the police involved by reporting through action fraud. And that is a process that actually just takes takes a bit of time. So if you are in a situation where every second counts in terms of protecting the company, often it is the civil remedies that can give you the protection you need. So if we're thinking about every second counting, um, what about your views on paying a ransom? I saw some commentary from Verizon recently that suggested that ransomware attacks account for nearly 24% of incidents where malware was used in a cyber attack. So that suggests to me that it's reasonably common to be asked to pay a ransom. Should you ever do this? 
This is always a really interesting legal question. And again, it's a classic example of the kind of debate that ideally you want to have had in scenario testing and role playing rather than uh, when you're actually faced with a ransom demand. There are two aspects of this, the legal aspect and the practical aspect. From the legal uh, aspect, the question is, can or, or should you pay a ransom? In other words, will paying the ransom potentially expose you to legal liability? The answer to that is generally no, but you do need to be aware of potential legal risks. And the key one is that if you know or have reason to believe that any ransom paid will go towards terrorist financing, uh, then that could uh, land you with liability under the, uh, the terrorism uh, legislation. Equally, uh, if you have reason to believe that a payment may end up breaching sanctions, then that can uh, lead to liability uh, attaching to you. Um, so the the key the legal point is generally you're okay to pay it absent absent those specific uh, knowledge or suspicions. Turning to the practical question, uh, you obviously want to be sure that if you are considering paying a ransom, uh, that will actually achieve what you want. In other words, the blackmailer will be true to their word uh, and will either unlock or destroy uh, the stolen data and give you back access to your systems. Believe it or not, on the dark web, um, professional blackmailers are rated um, a bit like uh, eBay, uh, depending on how quickly they honor their words. So, you know, there are people who make a living out of this. Um, it's always a very interesting debate in any significant cyber attack. It is not uncommon if you listen to more than one interview or re read more than one article uh, that certain cyber experts, some will be saying, yes, it's okay to pay a ransom sometimes. Others will be saying you should never pay a ransom. Um, the authorities generally uh, discourage the payment of ransoms. Um, so the official line is you should never pay one. All that said, there may be certain circumstances where the business concludes that actually the lesser of the two evils is paying a ransom. So it will simply come down, as I say, to, to the balance of those legal and practical considerations uh, and the company deciding what is in its best interest and its customers' best interest. And although it may stick in the craw to pay a ransom, there may be circumstances where the company certainly has to seriously consider it. Um, and it was, it was quite interesting and ironic uh, that not so long ago, the UK's largest forensics company, which works on tens of thousands uh, of cases for the police every year, decided to pay a ransom when its uh, own systems were, were attacked. That's fascinating. Um, I just wanted to take you back to something you mentioned a little while ago, and that was about uh, reporting to regulators. So obviously, many of our clients come from very highly regulated sectors, such as financial services. If you're in a regulated industry, when should you report a cyber attack or a data breach to a regulator? That will depend very much on the regulator and the particular rules. In certain situations, there will be specific deadlines you have to observe. So, for example, under the GDPR, that is the best known one. Uh, there is a very uh, hard limit there of 72 hours maximum before you report uh, to the ICO. In other regulated industries, there is no hard deadline as such. It is really a question of, of taking a judgment call. Um, but generally speaking, regulators expect to be told about something as soon as practicable once the company knows uh, that it is likely to be interested in it. And that obviously can be a case of, of um, you know, chicken and egg and deciding when is the right time to notify the regulator. Certain regulators make it clear that they get a bit irritated with every potential breach uh, or data event being notified to them because they often don't have the resources to, to look at them all seriously. Um, so that may militate in favor of not notifying too early Equally, the last thing a company wants is to be accused by the regulator of leaving it too long. So again, it's another one of those situations where 
you need to uh, make a judgment call in the particular case. But my own view is that if there's you know any element of doubt, then you you notify the regulator. And generally speaking, in my experience, the regulators are pretty good at letting the company carry on investigating and taking the initial steps to protect itself. I think there is sometimes a slight reticence to notify regulators for fear of the fact that they may start interfering and requiring lots of information from you, which could uh, distract you from dealing with the main event. But actually, in my experience, you know, if the notification is handled correctly, regulators are pretty good at letting you get on with it because they know uh, that that is going to be ultimately in the best interests of, of customers. Another perhaps point to bear in mind is quite often uh, companies will be subject to more than one regulator. So there is a lot to be said if you decide the time has come to notify one regulator of notifying any other regulators simultaneously. Sometimes different regulators will be interested in different particular concerns and therefore it may be the case that you know you need to provide certain uh, information to one regulator that the other regulator won't be interested in. But in terms of timing, generally speaking, uh, you know, a regulator does not like to find out that it has been informed um, a day or two after another regulator. And what about telling customers and indeed other stakeholders in the business or indeed the public generally? When do you do that? The question of when you go public ultimately uh, is a judgment call that you need to make on the particular um, facts of the case. The key issues you will be asking yourself when deciding whether to go public is, will going public reduce potential claims against you? For example, by allowing customers or uh, those whose data has been compromised to take mitigating action. So the most obvious example of this is if you're a bank or a financial institution and your customer's data uh, has been compromised, Once people know that, they can take steps such as changing their passwords, uh, which could well have the result both of protecting them um, and of reducing uh, potential liability of the company. So that will be a key factor uh, that you'll think about. Other factors you'll think about, uh, other questions, will any regulators you inform require you to go public? So you may get a regulator deciding or encouraging you to go public at a particular point. You have to also consider the risk of the attacker going public. So if it's a blackmail situation, the last thing you want to happen is that the blackmailer uh, goes public and the market finds out what has happened from the blackmailer rather than you. Um, And finally, you may want to consider whether you have an obligation to inform um, contractual counterparties. Quite often now in contracts, uh, business-to-business contracts, there will be uh, an obligation to inform uh, the contractual counterparty of a, a data or cyber breach. And obviously, as soon as you do that, the risk of a leak grows. So it really is ultimately um, a question of, of coming to a, a judgment in each particular case. But going public before you have established whether you have a serious issue can potentially lead to unjustified panic and damage to your reputation. And you are entitled uh, to take that risk into account. So ultimately, it's a question of making a commercial judgment in all the circumstances which you will be comfortable justifying if you are subsequently challenged. It can be a difficult decision though. I was involved in a breach recently where it classically occurred on a Friday evening. Uh, We were on the phone at close to midnight on Friday and based on the information that we then had, the view was taken, okay, eight o'clock tomorrow morning, we're gonna have to make this public um, because it looks like it's it's a big serious breach. We got on the phone again at about seven o'clock the next morning and actually in those few hours, a lot more detail about the breach had been established by the client side T department. And actually that changed the complexion quite significantly. And the decision was taken, well, we don't need to go public now because doing so could create more panic 
um, and create more damage potentially than than just taking a, bit, a few more hours to find out exactly what has happened. So that was a good illustration of uh, how difficult it can be. Ultimately, however, you need to decide based on the information you have at the particular time, and it's a question of weighing up the threats. And that is uh, a question where the regulators may actually be able to be of some help to you uh, and give you some guidance. So if we're assuming that the story has gone public, e either it's been leaked or you've chosen to, to put it out into the public domain, how do you manage communications? I'm sure it's likely to be a very fraught time. How can businesses make sure they convey the right messages and convey them in the right way? Yeah, this is so important. Um, you know, if a company gets it right and gets the communications right, then actually the story uh, and the potential damage to the company can be very limited. The reason for that is actually the public now and the market generally accepts that cyber and data attacks are a fact of life now. So the fact that a, a company has been subject to an attack is no great surprise anymore. Um, so much, therefore, depends on how the company handles it and how it handles its communications. Uh, as I say, a lot of that will drive what the ultimate um, effect of the breach is for, for the for the company long-term particularly. So, you know, a couple of golden rules. First and foremost, stick to the facts. It is very, very tempting, particularly when uh, journalists or other news agencies are pushing you for more detail, um, to, to go beyond what you actually know. And time and again, you see this, the companies that handle it well, just stick to the facts uh, and tell the market what they know. They don't take a guess based on uh, the information they currently have available to them. They just stick to what they've actually been able to establish. And I think if you do that and keep the market regularly updated, um, it tends to um, limit the damage and actually, you know, customers in the market appreciate it. It can sometimes be an interesting balancing act because you often have a number of different uh, audiences for the public communications. So on one level, you may have certain information you want to get across to customers. Market analysts may require a bit more information or a different angle uh, uh, of information. Employees um, are often an overlooked audience for communications because obviously in any significant data breach of a big company, employees will naturally you know, be worried about it and maybe being contacted by customers direct. So there are various different audiences and sometimes you need a different communication style for those audiences. But the absolute golden rule is you need to make sure that the same message is given to those audiences. What you don't want are different people involved in different messages to different audiences. So you know, it is all about making sure that there is one person ultimately within the client who is responsible for the message that goes out. And obviously, um, the legal department of the client will have a very, very close input into that message. There are a, a couple of other um, key rules to, to bear in mind. Um, do not say this was a very sophisticated attack unless you're sure it is. That is something you quite often see. The vast majority of attacks, however, are not very sophisticated. Uh, the vast majority start off as fairly simple phishing attacks. So if you have gone out early on saying, gosh, this was a very sophisticated attack, you can come a cropper later uh, when it turns out that actually it wasn't at all sophisticated. Um, you need to be clear and honest. This is not a time for corporate spin. You need to be completely straight uh, with the market. Um, and it is often a good idea uh, if it is a significant data breach to actually, certainly in the initial communications, uh, make sure that someone sufficiently senior, potentially even the chief executive, 
gives the initial messages to the market. That is something that gives the message to the market, this is really being taken seriously. Um, obviously, you need to make sure that that individual is properly briefed uh, and can answer all the obvious questions that they're going to be asked. Uh, and we have seen some situations where that hasn't happened. And so, you know, although the company rolling out the chief exec was exactly, uh, you know, the right thing to do in terms of the intention, the result often has not been um, what was what was hoped for. So finally, I wondered if we could touch on cyber insurance. A recent report from the UK's Department of Culture, Media and Sport suggested that only 11% of UK businesses have specific cybersecurity insurance policy. And, and that did suggest that the percentage was higher among larger businesses. So I guess that's a point. But, but what are your views here? Is cyber insurance something you recommend for your clients? Yeah, it's certainly something that I think all clients should look at. Uh, and I think we are increasingly getting to the stage where if a company does not have cyber insurance, uh, they could be asked later on why that was the case. So I think there could be uh, potential exposure and liability for the company if they don't at least have a good story to tell as to why they considered it um, and why they decided not to take it, if that's the case. Um, my own view is, yeah, it's a sensible thing to have, um, as well as covering some of the potential losses of investigating and arising uh, from a cyber breach. Insurers often have their own panel of experts, so it can be helpful uh, when you're dealing with a breach to have access to a wider pool of experts. Um, there are various tables um, and um, uh, customer feedback from, from companies that have used cyber insurance. So we are now starting to get quite a good picture of who are the good providers, who are the providers who will actually support you uh, in the middle of a cyber breach, because you don't want, obviously, a, a, an insurer trying to take over control of the situation. Yes, you'll be working in partnership with them, obviously, but ultimately, you know, you as the, the company and the victim of the breach want to keep control of what happens in the key strategic stages. So, you know, it is about finding a, an insurer that is going to support you, but also has the experience of previous breaches to actually be something that you, you know, you want to have on your side. And a, as I say, an additional pool of expertise to call on. Lawson, thanks so much for this. It's been a really interesting conversation. I'm taking away a few points in particular. Uh, it seems to me that beyond the technical provisions businesses expect to make in terms of cybersecurity preparedness, there's an awful lot of thinking that needs to be done about how to respond to a breach. So you've said that you need to have a response or a crisis plan in place in advance, including who's in the team and which external advisors you'll need to bring in. You've said that you need to understand exactly how your response might affect your ability to seek criminal or civil remedies and whether it might influence the regulatory response to the problem as well. You've also said you need to be ready to move fast, but you need to be sure that your messaging is clear and most importantly of all, your messaging is consistent. Is there anything else you'd add to that? No, they're certainly the main issues to bear in mind. And I think we are now at the situation where, as I said earlier, the market, the regulators, customers, I think, appreciate that the reality is most companies will be targeted and may be the victim of a cyber or data breach. So in terms of protecting the company and making sure that you are in the best possible position to deal with any potential liability issues or questions from regulators, there are two key things that you need to show. First is that you have taken all reasonable steps to try to prevent an attack uh, being successful. And second, if an attack is successful, then you have taken all reasonable steps to handle it in the best way possible in order to minimise the loss and damage uh, that is suffered by the company and by uh, customers of the company. Thank you very much for your insights. Mm -hmm.